With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Tonight on Trailblazers, we chat to a young woman who started her sporting career as a sprinting star. Indeed made her a perfect fit for the developing rugby sevens program, where she quickly made an impact on the game, winning gold with Australia at the 2016 Rio Summer Olympics. She proved equally adept in a code switch to the NRLW. Her philanthropic work off the field shows she's more than just a sporting superstar. Stay with us on Trailblazers as we hear the story of the exceptional Elia Green. Well, she roared into notoriety on the rugby field and we're delighted that she's found time to come in and chat. Welcome to you, Elia Green. Thanks for having me. So good of you to come in. Now, you lead, we know, an insanely busy life, but since you foray into the NRLW, you've actually had a week off. What did you do? Yes, well, um, never too busy for you, Steph. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I've had a relaxing two weeks off. Um, Just been lounging around, something I don't get to do often, Um, but... I still have been busy with all the things that I do on the side. So, um, still, yeah, having a, had a bit of a break from training, but, yeah, still busy with my other commitments. Yeah, we'll talk about all your uh, philanthropic work a little bit later, but are you actually capable of turning off? Because you do so much. <laughs> I, I do admit, like, when I go to sleep, I do find it hard to actually switch off because I'm thinking a lot. But, um, yeah, I do find it difficult. Well, in a non-COVID world, you would have been recently returned from Tokyo and defending your, your gold medal from Rio. How did the pandemic change your schedule this year? Um, well, for me, it was like, it was challenging for me because I actually got a really bad injury um, after the Sydney Sevens in February. And um, because of that injury, I had to keep training nonstop and I was allowed to train because... I was for medical reasons, so my training never really stopped. It just tra- changed from training with the team and for the big goal of going to Tokyo. So in terms of training, like that kind of stayed the same, but um, definitely had to do a lot of goal resetting and um, yeah, like just readjusting in in our training regimes and everything. How's your body now? Um, oh, all healed. Yeah, definitely all healed. I mean, after NRL, it was a little bit sore, but yeah, it's all healed from that injury. Exactly. You mentioned the NRLW and club rugby, I think, was on the cards for you as well as the Jack Scott Cup in the 15s. The switch to play the 13-woman version of the game, though, from a spectator point of view, you look so comfortable in the NRLW. How was it from your perspective? Oh, it was unreal experience, but even more so than actually playing the game was the team. 
Um, the New Zealand Warriors have this amazing culture and um, tradition, you know, with the with the Māori culture there. It's really special. And um, from the very first day of walking into the room, um, they, intru- they introduced themselves to us as if we were walking into the Madai and um, sung um, their songs to us and did the haka for us. And from that day forward, I knew it was going to be the most um, incredible experience, and it was. And so even more so than the actual competition, just that team and the family that I've made from that team is is even more special. Well, you make so many friends everywhere you go. It's uh, There's some wonderful some relationships. Some I could make friends with a tree, which I'm proud of. <laughs> I completely agree with that. <laughs> uh, how about on the field, though, the change, the, the slight change in, in the game, uh, did you find it easy to adjust to? Um, at first... Probably not. I was, you know, running around like a headless chook a little bit at training and I was a bit embarrassed because like, I just, I'm, I'm not very good at touch footy. It's definitely not one of my strengths and running backwards, not one of my strengths. So those, those two things I found a bit challenging. But, um, you know, once we got into the contact stuff, loved it. Like that was the most familiar part for me, just running it straight, like, um, yeah, up the guts, you know. Um, that once we got to the contact and um, actually playing game stuff, I, I got m- more comfortable probably second, third session in. And state of origin on your bucket list? Look, um, it is <laughs> maybe further down the track, but, um, yeah, for now my, my commitments are definitely with the seven, so, yeah. How do you find time for all the stuff you do off the field? Uh, you do a lot of uh, philanthrop- philanthropic and uh, charity work, a lot of ambassador work. Is that something you see that it's essential for you to fit into your life so you make time for it? Definitely. And it's um, one of the greatest things that rugby's provided me with, um, you know, like uh, the platform so I can use my voice to do the things that I'm passionate about, which is being an ambassador for um, Adopt Change, Raise and um, the UN Women Australia three um three organizations that i'm extremely passionate about and if it wasn't for rugby um you know i I just don't know if that would have been possible so i'm grateful for that so grateful for that well i've known you for a number of years but of course i I did a little bit of reading just to update myself before we chatted today and uh, your success has also resonated back in in fiji uh you were of course born there and the first Fijian to medal at, at an Olympics, which they're, they're quite happy to claim. And I think the men's sevens team wasn't far after you. But how much connection do you still feel with the, the country of your birth? I see that you have been back there for building school programs and the like. Yeah. Um, you know, being Fijian is something I'm very proud of, very, very proud of. And um, my brother and I were adopted there from birth and it was very important to them that um, we stayed in Fiji for our first four years of of um, being born and um, yeah it was from what I can remember and just from the footage because my dad actually recorded all of our life growing up in Fiji because he was actually uh, a journo and um, working with Channel 7 at the time so he had all all the gear and um, all the idea of what he was doing and um, luckily enough I have all the footage of my brother and I growing up in Fiji and um, we spoke the language fluently while we were there. My mum even spoke Fijian. She's a Polish lady. And, um, yeah, it was really special. And even now to this day, uh, you know, the, the most special thing about Fijians is you can you could see any Fijian down the street and you can just say, Bula, and they'll give you the biggest <laughs> smile and wave across the, across the road. You know, they're just the happiest people on earth, I truly believe. So going back to uh, to give back to those communities is, is something that you felt compelled to do because of that connection? Well, um, Fiji's given me so much. It's given me my my big smile, my personality, and um, like 
just my culture. Like I know it's, I haven't been able to grow up on the islands or, you know, lived in an island household, but my mum, you know, she, she taught me so much and also took my brother and I back to Fiji almost every year um, growing up through primary school and that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really me giving back to what this beautiful country has given me and my family. Do you have a biological family that you're in touch with then? Um, no, no, I don't. Um, so adopted family, but I bet it's huge. Um, yeah, come from a pretty big family, but unfortunately I don't know too much about the background of, um, of yeah, of them. But uh, the, the way that uh, you just exude that warmth that we associate with the Fijian culture and uh, you say that the music's part of you and, and you feel, as well as Australian, a really strong uh, connection culturally, right? To Australia. To Fiji. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, no, 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 definitely. And, like, I'm, I feel so lucky that I get to I get to have both cultures, you know, but not only that, I've got my mum's Polish culture as well, which um, is quite strong as well. Like, you know, we always celebrate, um, you know, eat Polish Easter's, Polish Christmases, and my mum's, um, you know, she did speak fluent Polish as well. So I'm really lucky to experience three different cultures. Well, at five years old, Elia moved to Australia. It was a move that was to reap dividends for Australian rugby. She was the first to experience success as a sprinter. But after the break, we go back to where it all began. Stay with us on Trailblazers, 1170 SEN. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Welcome back to Trailblazers. We're chatting with Rugby Sevens superstar, Elia Green. Elia, talk about being United Nations in one person. Born in Fiji, adopted by a Polish mother, an English father, moved to Australia as a youngster. <laughs> what do you recall of your early years in this country? United Nations is exactly how my <laughs> mum used to describe our family and the way we looked. I mean, even my brother, he's he's mixed race, so he he's mixed, so he looks lighter than me. Um, the the darkest one of the family, his mum used to call me licorice legs. Mum's Polish, so she's real light. We really literally did like look like the United Nations, which I loved. I love confusing people. And, um, yeah, I don't think anyone ever picked my mum to be my mum, ever. It was, I, I was always mistaken as a carer or just her friend or everything but mother. So it was, yeah. Either way, it was an amazing relationship. And Yolanta and Evan Green were pretty incredible people, weren't they? You've mentioned uh, your dad's media background. Your mum also had one, correct? Yes. She was um, um, an amazing radio host and she also hosted um, a TV show called um, Gone Fishing. And then she also did a travel show with my dad called Escape. How brilliant. Before their time. Uh, Dad, of course, uh, he passed away when you were three years old. So you were raised by a single mum uh, along with your brother on the Central Coast. Was it a, a happy, idyllic childhood? It, it was for the most of it. Um, my brother and I, you know, fought like cat and dog. As we're supposed to, aren't you? As we're supposed <laughs> to. Um, I guess he was just getting me prepared for rugby, you know. Um, but, yeah, no, growing up with mum, you know, she always did the best that she could definitely was a struggle and challenging at times um but um I, I actually wanted to become a nurse very early on when I was 10 because my mom got cancer um when I, yeah when I was about 10 years old so that's when I decided that I wanted to be a nurse because um I was a her main caretaker at home you know changing her wounds dressings and getting her medications when she couldn't get out of bed and um that really you know made me just love caring for her and, um, you know, wanting to help other people as well. So that's where I kind of got my um, love for 
nursing, actually. Yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that in, in just a moment. But if we if we wind back uh, to the early days and the start of your sporting career, if you like. Now, I wanted to say that you started as a star at Little Athletics, but you've just, in the break, shown me a picture of you as a ballerina. Was that a dream? <laughs> Look, that was the plan, but I found out pretty quickly that I was um, just way too violent to be a ballerina. <laughs> But I'd like to think I was light and dainty. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, rugby was the winner in all of that. Uh, but you were a star at Little Athletics. Uh, would you have said then if you were going to go to the Olympics, it would have been as a runner? Um, that was definitely my greatest goal and my biggest dream. Um, never could have imagined it being rugby sevens. But, um, yeah, I found out from a very young age that I just I loved running so much. And... Um, it was my one way to kind of come out of my shell. I was so shy. I went to a school that, um, you know, was didn't have much um, multiculturalism. Like we, my brother and I were the only coloured kids in the school, and um, yeah, it was it was hard to make friends. So I found playing sport was one way that I could really, um, you know, make friends and socialise and just come out of my shell. But when you were sprinting, it wasn't so much about where you were running to, was it? Did you spend all your time waving at mum? Yeah, show pony. <laughs> <laughs> like my entire childhood revolved around impressing mum. And it actually didn't even, it even grew into adulthood as well, impressing mum. But um, mainly as a child, just wanted to outdo my brother. I had to beat him at everything. <laughs> I, I wanted him to know that I was the most loved child of the family. <laughs> <laughs> you nailed the uh, the outdoing people, but it, it was actually your speed that made you such a good fit for rugby sevens. Uh, when you switched from sprinting to rugby, uh, your mum was in full support of that, but that wasn't uh, across the board, was it? You had some people that thought it was a really bad idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was a hard decision to make to go over to rugby sevens because, um, you know, my mum had invested so much time and money, money that she didn't have to, you know, to fund me to go to nationals and run all around the country. But, um, and also my athletics coach, you know, it's such a, in, it's obviously an individual sport, but it's so personal. You spend so much time together one-on-one -on -one with your coach. And I only trained with one other, um, one other girl at the time. Um, and yeah, it was just such a close relationship that I was leaving and a very long-term dream that I'd been working on, um, yeah, for my whole childhood. So it was a lot to kind of um, put aside for the time being to go ahead with it. But my mum said to me in the kitchen one day, she's like, you know what, opportunities like this do not come around. Like this this is a one-off kind of thing, Elia. And what's the worst? You don't get picked and you go back to athletics. That's that's it. You, you'll always be able to run. You won't always get a letter from Rugby Australia to to take on this opportunity. So that's, that, like, after mum said that, that kind of just signed the deal for me. And I said, you know what, stuff it, let's, let's do it. <laughs> well, it was kind of an accident, wasn't it? It must have been a, a turn of, a twist of fate that you actually ended up playing rugby. Weren't you taking someone else to trials? Yes. So it was, um, my, like, she's like my cousin, but when you're, um, everyone's your cousin. <laughs> um, and she was going to try out for um, this, the rugby sevens trial day, sorry, they call it the um, Talent ID Day, which they hosted all around the, the country. And she said, you really should go, Elia. You'd be, um, you'd be really good at rugby sevens. And I, hadn't, I didn't know much about it at the time. So, um, you know, I said, you know, you go and I'll watch you. And, like, she's like, don't be stupid. You, you should come too. And then so um, it was kind of last minute 
like it wasn't really a planned thing. So I, we got there very late to the trial and, you know, um, all the girls in the room turned around and looked because, you know, we walked in on Fiji time. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> um, and I can just remember like um, being very lost on this day and um, super out of my um, out of my league, out of my depth being here. But, um, you know, I, I felt better knowing that I was there with um, Meme, my cousin. So, yeah, that's where it all went. And from there, I can't even believe that they picked me to go on because you were picking the Fijian girl that had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Could barely pass the ball, but some little part of them found interest of me. Do, do I dare ask what happened to your cousin and her rugby career? Um, look, she and she ended up um, doing other things. <laughs> That's very diplomatic yeah, of you. <laughs> she's, she's so talented. Like, she still ended up playing rugby for a little bit. Um, and I think she did go into the next trial as well. But, um, yeah, she's, she's good at everything. I mean got to share it around, sis. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, you were playing for the Australian Sevens not long after that. A year later, you became a viral sensation. Uh, there was a, a stunning long-range effort of yours against Canada in the Gold Coast Sevens. Now, the commentary, which I went back to listen to today, uh, went, Green, oh, what a try. When she finds out how to play this game, she's going to be exceptional. It really looked like you'd already found out how to play. What, what was it about adapting to rugby? Um, I actually hate watching that, um, that <laughs> try. <amazing. laughs> I hate watching that try, but, um, yeah, it seemed to, to, um, catch, catch a lot of people's attention. <laughs> so that's all right. But, um, yeah, I think I was still in very much a learning stage and I was, um, I was getting tackled out quite a bit over the sideline. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't making the best decisions and I, I did have a lot to learn and, um, I guess for myself personally, one of the things I really struggled with, like transitioning from athletics to rugby sevens, um, was the repeat efforts um, in in terms of having to make a tackle, get up, run again, um, you know, just, just the repeat efforts. There's mm. not much more to it. Like I really struggled with that. And then to also um, play to the skill level you need to do um, in rugby sevens, it, um, you know, really challenged me. So, yes, I did have a lot to learn and, um, you know, I still do. Like, I, even today at training, doing um, extra skills after the session and everything, like, um, never stop learning in this game and the game's getting faster, more athletic and harder. So, um, yeah, still heaps to learn. I think you've just got around it by just being quicker. If you're so quick they can't catch you, you don't have to repeat anything. So, Well, yeah, that'd, I mean, that'd be great. So easier said than done, I'd say. Uh, now, long, not long after that, we had the, the build-up to Rio. It was, it was a few years, but that required all of you to make this massive commitment. You all, uh, am I right in thinking you moved to the Northern Beaches in Sydney, uh, the, the whole team, giving up a lot of uh, life choices. And you mentioned uh, your nursing career. You're actually studying to be uh, a nurse. How much was in that? that commitment for you like what did it mean for you um I don't really like to say I was sacrificing a lot because it was more of a choice that was made um you know everyone makes sacrifices but that was a choice that I that I made and um you know it's my mum always said like if you're going to do something like don't don't regret it after like just do it (laughs) and um like I knew was I was leaving a lot that I I had worked for which was getting a job in aged care at the time, which I found really hard. Um, and, yeah, not being not pursuing my, my goals in nursing and um, and also in athletics. So, um, you know, it was really just 
throwing myself in the deep end and said, like, you know, what do I have to lose? Like, you know, just got to give it a go. Um, but the hardest part of it was actually leaving my mum. I was mm. like, I'm such a mummy's girl. And, um, you know, moving into state, being away from her was going to be the the hardest part of the whole move up to Sydney. But, um, you know, mum said, yeah, I, not that I have to do it, I don't want to sound like I was forceful, but she's like, you know, I really want you to. And you did. And uh, and I think it would have been quite confronting to uh, to gather. And you've got to make a team out of uh, a bunch of players who don't know each other that well. And a lot of you came from different backgrounds. There wasn't the traditional, you all came from touch football or some of you came from rugby league. You all came from other places. Was it confronting meeting a, a group of players that you were going to have to bond with? Um, going back to thinking to that, sorry, thinking about that day when we all first met, um, God, I was really... Um, intimidated. There, you? <laughs> I was very intimidated because they, they were about three times bigger than me, the players at the time. Um, they were a lot older team when I joined, which was in 2012. Um, and so I, I had a long way to go and, you know, they definitely put me in place in my first few weeks in contact there. You know, they um, they wanted they wanted me to see, I think they were testing to see how tough I was, um, which is fair enough, fair enough. Um, almost broke me, but I'm still here, which is a good thing. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it was an experience I will never forget. Um, and as you said, coming up from all different backgrounds, um, I think that was the most, like, exciting thing about it, you know, meeting all these players from different um, backgrounds and places all around Australia. Well, that Australian Rugby Sevens team went on to win gold at the Rio Olympics However, behind the scenes, Elia Green had some other things on her mind. Stay with us here on Trailblazers. Back soon with more on 1170 SEN. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Welcome back. We're talking with Rugby 7 star Elia Green tonight. Now, Elia, the pictures that you can now look back on of your time in Rio, they all show wide smiles, jubilation and, of course, the podium shot. Now, you came off the bench to score a vital second-half try against New Zealand. How do you actually remember the match? Um, it all seems a bit blurry now. Um, I think just in disbelief um, is what I can remember when the whistle, full-time whistle blew because I'd never look at the score. Well, I won't say never, but I just very, um, very so often will look up at the, at the, at the scoreboard um, and... Yeah, when I saw the score, I was just like, what? We've won? And, like, not disbelief, but just shock that we act like our plan has worked. And, um, you know, just the four years of preparation leading up to it um, was all worth it. And so, yeah, I think just looking over at each other and um, and just running over to our parents was the most unreal feeling I've ever felt. Yeah, well, of course, your your biggest fan was there to see it, Mum Yolanta. Now, she'd booked a ticket to Rio before you were even picked in the team. Did she tell you that? I mean, pressure much? Oh, she, <laughs> she told me. Yeah, she told me. Yeah, she'd say she'd booked the flights, accommodation, everything, um, before it even been named in the team. I was like, Mum, come on. Um, uh, you know, the teams are going to be named until, like, at least, I think it was, like, maybe three weeks before. And, like, I know I didn't expect her to... Um, you know, book something that late, but at the same time, I was really feeling the pressure because I know, <laughs> like, it's such an expensive trip to to cover. So, um, yeah, no pressure at all, Mum. Yeah, she wouldn't have missed it for the world. Now, you were already by that stage writing Mum on your wrist strapping when you played. Tell us about that. 
Yes, it's um part of my ritual. I've never played a game um, without mum written on my strapping tape and I also write, write a bit on the inside as well um, with my dad, my brother and my partner. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a ritual and it's something that I, um, you know, really keep close to my heart because when I'm really, like, hurting, you know, whether I'm tired or I'm injured on the field or, um, you know, I just need that little bit extra, I look down at my wrist sometimes and um, I just remind myself that, you know, like, my mum is... Um, has literally given all of herself to me and everything that she's done, so I'm going to give everything back as well. And she was, of course, battling uh, cancer for the second time then. Uh, you were flying down to Melbourne uh, in the lead-up to the Olympics every two weeks uh, for her treatments and then coming back to Sydney to train. This was while you were trying to qualify. How tough was that? Yeah, it was extremely tough. Um, as I said before, my mum's yeah, my been through a lot of um, different times of of sickness, of illness. And, um, yeah, this had come back um, and it was just another challenge that we were going to have to get through together. And um, it was just really hard to focus. Um, that's a, I can remember the, the hardest thing, which I still find hard when I'm, I'm thinking about my mum. Um, hard to focus on a job when your heart's actually broken, thinking about, um, you know, whether, whether mum's okay or not. Uh, your your family uh, were your team at the time, really. They all gathered around you. Uh, in 2018, a couple of years later, the Australian team was on the Gold Coast uh, for the Commonwealth Games. By then, your mum's treatment meant that she couldn't fly. You said goodbye in Melbourne, thinking that she wouldn't be in the stands in Queensland for this one. Uh, your teammates and their parents had, had other plans. What happened? Oh, that was the most um, special day. I will never forget that. So, um, basically, Tim Walsh our coach at the time said that there was a media launch or something down at the training fields. And um, he said, everyone everyone has to go. Um, oh, actually, Elliot, you don't have to go. You can just have a rest. <laughs> I'm like, that's so weird. Like, are you excluding me from <laughs> being with everyone? I thought it was so weird. But he was like, yeah, you just, like, stay, stay back and relax. You've been running around and stuff. Like, stay back. So I thought that was a bit weird, but I was like, sure, like I'll, I'll happily stay in bed. Um, <laughs> and then um, so they had left on the bus and then I got a call like maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes into them being there saying like, um, actually, um, can you come to the field because um, the kids want to see you? And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> I, I was actually really mad because I was like, I could have gone with you in the first place. I wanted to go and then, yeah, so then... Anyways, after huffing and puffing, I got to the field and like I could see my teammates smiling and I was like, like what what's the like, you know, it wasn't it wasn't what I you know, the kind of vibe I was thought I was walking into. And then um as I walked uh, a little bit further, who do I see? I see my beautiful mum and she's like she's standing there smiling with her hands on her face because she's crying. Aww. And um yeah, I couldn't believe she was there because uh, as you said, she couldn't fly anymore so I didn't I wasn't expecting her to um to be there early for starters but I knew her driving up with um Charlotte Caslick's parents was going to take a long time but yeah she was tricking me and she ended up surprising me that day so that's yeah. so gorgeous and she was always so thrilled to be able to to watch you achieve doing something something you loved uh mum lost her battle with cancer in 2018 uh you say, and, and you, you've spoken about how much she's taught you. How does that still resonate with you now? Oh, um, yeah, just losing mum in 2018 was, the you know, the 
literally the lowest of the low I've ever felt. Um, kind of fell into a bit of a hole that I thought I was never going to get back out of. And um, I guess going through that period now, I kind of see it as, um, you know, a time where I've, I've had to be braver than I've ever had to be before in my life. And, um, you know, mum, mum's raised me, my brother and I up to, um, to, to get stronger from these circumstances. And, um, I could never have prepared myself for this, not this kind of heartache, but, um, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, I can, I can be a really great role model to my future children one day. And, um, you know, even be half the parent she was raising um, my brother and I as a single mum most, uh, most of our life. In the meantime, it's now a big brother Mitch that's the one in the stands for you, correct? Yes, my big teddy bear brother Mitchell. <laughs> he, um, the one you had to beat. <laughs> yes, um, my punching bag, I like to call it. Um, you yeah, know, he's, he's, uh, he's also my best friend and um, we're very lucky to have each other. I love him to bits. Along with writing mum on your wrist strapping, you had or have still another pre-game ritual to do with your hair? Uh, you know, it's it's grey at the moment. Um, it's what rugby has done. It's definitely aged, <laughs> sped up the ageing process. <laughs> jokes. No, um, yeah, so I have this um, this grey hair now and I'm referred to as Storm, like the Marvel character because she's my, um, my idol. And um, we also have another um, G in my team now because G was my nickname before. Mm-hmm. So I'm now Storm. And um, how I tie the Storm hair up is pretty particular. It needs to be a certain tightness. Um, definitely not right in the centre. It's like slightly off centre. Like it's, it's, I have to tie it up a few times to make sure I have the right feel. Do you do it yourself? I do do it myself, yes. Oh, so there's no braiding each other's yeah. hair in camp? Oh, not my hair. No, way too high maintenance. This hair's way too high maintenance. It's not your stock standard. <laughs> uh, that group of, of women that you play with and that you've come through with from, from really the start of the, the Rugby Sevens program as we know it now, uh, you've all bonded uh, as friends just before we leave the Olympic experience. Can you tell us, did you girls wreak havoc in the village? Um, you mean after we won? Yeah. Or before? <laughs> Um, no, definitely. Um, look, I'm not going to lie. I think I disappeared into the depths of Rio. <laughs> um, my coach would definitely agree on that. Like, Elia was MIA. Uh, we were given these, um, Sam- Samsung phones, um, in the, in the, um, Olympic Village and it was like the contact if you, um, have an emergency. And yeah, I, like, I had that on me. So as long as I had that, I wasn't lost. But other than that, I was somewhere in Rio. I'm sure the security people from Rugby Australia are very pleased to hear about that. (laughs) (laughs) Elia Green continues to excel, of course, in a household name herself. She can still turn into a fan. After the break, we find out more about who has influenced her life. That's next on Trailblazers here on SEN 1170. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Elia Green is our guest tonight. Elia, you quickly became a role model yourself and an inspiration to so many players, male and female, young and old. Who did you look up to when you were little? Um, so my biggest inspiration was definitely my mum. Like, mm. I'd, I'd look up to everything that she would do. And, um, yeah, I just adored her in every way as a role model and as a parent. But um, when it comes to um, sporting heroes... I really looked up to um, Carmelita Jetta, um, the Jet, fastest woman in the world, and also Asafa Powell and Usain Bolt. 
they were like my top three. And also Shelly Ann Fraser, um, my favourite sprinters. And I was like, I, when I say idols, I, I was actually obsessed with these athletes. <laughs> they were, I had pictures of them over covering my whole wall. And, um, you know, I was, I'd get home from school in primary school and I'd be doing sit-ups, push-ups. And my mum bought me my first set of weights when I was in primary school. And I would be li- literally looking at them while I'm working out, you know, before and after <laughs> school and um, before dinner. And I was, I'd always just look at them and I knew I wanted to be that, like, big, black, strong athlete that um, they were. And I'd look up to them and just, you know, just be in complete awe. Of their physiques. Well, you mentioned the male sprinters and uh, your gold medal actually got you through to see them compete in person in Rio, right? It did. Funny story that. <laughs> um, I really wanted to see, um, well, it was like, you know, the one event I just was dying to see, which is the 100 metre final at the Rio Olympics. And um, I was, you know, partying around town with my Croatian friend. And um, she said to me like, oh, so you don't have tickets to go here. I'm like, no, but, like, I thought maybe we could sweet talk our way in. She said, well, you of all people will sweet talk your way in. And she's like, you have a gold medal in your bag. Just use that and um, I'm sure we'll get in. And I'm like, you're kidding. Who do you think you are? Who do you think we are? <laughs> she's like, trust me, just give it a go. So there was literally a lineup of people for kilometres down the road to get in to see this event and um, went to security and I said, look, I don't have a ticket, but... Um, I was wondering if um, you watched the the Rugby Sevens the other night. And he was like, yeah, it was amazing. The um, Australia won it. And I was like, yeah, look, here's the medal. And um, he was like, he was just in complete shock. Um, and that <laughs> he was holding the gold medal. He said, are you here to watch the um, the athletics? And I was like, yeah. And he said, well, come through. Um, we'll, t- we'll take you in. I'll take you myself. And little did I know that he was going to put us right next to Usain Bolt's family sitting next to Maurice Green watching the 100 metres, the 100 metre final. So we got a lot more than we bargained for, that's for sure. Ah, the joys of having gold. How about outside of sport, though? Um, You just mentioned uh, not just being a fan but being obsessed. Now, I had a really funny story about uh, you in Dubai in 2015. Um, You personally delivered match tickets to the hotel room of 50 Cent. Now, rumour has it you actually sweet talked or hatched a plan and got into that room is that right you're really exposing me (laughs) it was ages ago (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you you're you're exposing all my hidden talents which is getting into different levels of a hotel without a swipe card (laughs) trust me it's a skill (laughs) so yes that is true i can't um you know um tell you the fine details but um i did manage to get up to the level of where 50 cent was staying because he was in the same um, hotel that we were in Dubai. And, you know, I thought, why not? And you're already here um, performing, so you may as well come to the Dubai Sevens um, <laughs> because we're playing tomorrow. And, um, yeah, I ended up writing him a song. I don't know if you know about that, which I um, put up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, um, he didn't respond to the video, um, but I did a cover of 21 Questions. So <laughs> if you wanted to hear it, you can head on to my pages to check it out. Are you still a rapper? Um, yeah, look, my rapping, um, abilities haven't, um, you know, really taken off because I've been focusing on a few other things, um, <laughs> lately, but, um, yeah, definitely not off the cards, so. 
Well, maybe that's a post, post, post rugby and everything else career. We'll uh, we'll keep our eye out for that. But in things that we can talk about and get details on, uh, you said for years that your goal post rugby was to work with the UN. Now you're already doing that. Can you talk about your involvement with the uh, United Nations? Yeah, so it's um, something that I have been very passionate about since I was a teenager. Um, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do exactly, but um, I started doing nursing because I love taking care of my mum. But I also was, had a real strong interest in international aid and um, the United Nations. And so I said to my mum, like, I really want to, um, you know, potentially be a nurse in the UN or, you know, working with um, Doctors Without Borders. That was where I really wanted to go. And, um, yeah, the UN always just sticked with me and I really wanted to just, um, you know, to find out more about it and to potentially work with them. And then through rugby, um, they ended up contacting... I'm sorry, not they, the UN Women Australia ended up contacting um, Rugby Australia and said, um, look, we heard that Elia is really interested in the UN. Um, we'd like to take her on as um, our national um, national champion um, ambassador for the UN Women Australia. And so that was an amazing opportunity that, um, that came up and I get to work on campaigns with them, involve my teammates, um, represent them, you know, with my voice and... Um, yeah, just stand for issues that I'm really passionate about um, helping the UN and hopefully um, after I graduate from uni, I'm studying international security at the moment at Macquarie Uni. Hopefully after I finish my degree in international security, I'll um, be able to work in that kind of industry. You've got so many strings to your boat. There's also your work with Adopt Change. Uh, tell us about that. Adopt Change is, is, is incredible. Um, I've been with Adopt Change for about four years now. Um, that's a guess, but around that. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they're an amazing organisation that, um, you know, with their logo, Home for Every Child is really what they aim for. And um, I get to meet some incredible, um, you know, ambassadors and people through Adopt Change. And um, once again, I get to be a voice for them um, and talk about my story, which I hope will help other kids that have been adopted or don't have a home to go to at night. Um and, yeah, it's, it's an organisation I'm very, very passionate about and um, I hold very close, closely to my heart. I mentioned at the top of the program uh, how busy you are off the field and along with the two you've just mentioned, um, there's also RAISE. There's the RAISE Foundation and Becoming a Mentor. Um, that's, yeah, also something I, I hold very close to my heart because I know how much um, mentoring meant to me. Um, growing up, I was lucky enough to have um, Peter Brock, um, the, the racer, as my mentor and you know, growing up, he always said to me, um, you know, you will go to the Olympics one day because you, this is what you're destined to do. And he, he actually went to the um, Sydney Olympics or Athens. And it was, he went to one of them as a mentor for the swim team. And he bought me back my first Olympic uniform. So for, um, after Uncle Peter bought that back, he said, so this one is one you're going to have for now until you get your very own. Wow. And that's when I'll be your mentor there. So um, um, I've never forgotten his gotten him saying that and I still have his um his u uniform as well so I know how much a mentor um you know can change um you know change your life and just change like and, and really help you you know to grow to your b best ability and um so yeah that's why I'm also really passionate about race that's a, an extraordinary link up how does one end up with Peter Brock as a mentor my dad, very close, very close with him. Because um, he covered uh, motor racing, right? My dad covered motor racing, yeah. 
Well, that was a very good connection. Uh, one more that I, I really want to touch on because uh, I'm full of admiration for what they do for female sports people is the Minerva Network. And that's a lot about not just supporting women in their careers, but also uh, towards a post-sport career, which is really important because even though women's sport is so popular now and it's been on an upward trajectory, uh, there's still a lot of athletes that aren't going to set themselves up for life from playing sport. Uh, but the Minerva Network has so many uh, amazing uh, mentors that, that women can talk to, right? Yes, I've been lucky enough to be a part of the Minerva Network and um, they've, you know, already, so Christine in particular has assisted me a lot in, um, you know, helping me to have those goals and those, um, you know, those, yeah, those goals set after after rugby. And um, not only that, she's helped me network with some amazing people and put me in touch with other athletes. And, um, yeah, just networking, it's so important. It's so important. And um, Minerva has definitely helped me do that and not just me and my teammates as well. Yeah, and uh, your teammates have, have already, you've all experienced so much success in what is for the sport a very short lifespan, but how do you see uh, women's rugby at the moment? How do you, how do you see the way it's travelling? I think it's, it's, you know, come an amazingly long way um, since the beginning of my career, you know. Um, I didn't know much about rugby sevens. You know, I was in um, Melbourneians and... Um, Obviously, rugby rugby isn't huge there. It's so overtaken by AFL. Mm. But, um, you know, a female rugby player is even more foreign. <laughs> so I think, you know, seeing where it's come come from, even before, like, before my time, you know, just to see where it is now is, is incredible. And just the other weekend I went to watch a, um, I think it was an under-10s rugby sevens competition in Narrabeen. And, um, yeah, they were, they were just, it was incredible. It was, it was amazing to see and, um, like how hard they were tackling and running and, um, you know, this is, this is where it all starts and, um, for these young ones and it's just amazing to see. I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. I love that when we've been on stage together at various corporate functions and we'll often have a former Wallaby or a, a men's sevens player next to us and they'll tell us how terrified they are of the women's team. Uh, <laughs> shows that that playing field has really levelled up, hasn't it? Uh, Elio, we don't have, have you for much longer, but I, I want to ask you, you've said that your mum used to tell you you could always be better. What's ahead for you, having achieved so much in your 27 years? Oh, I hope there's so much more for me coming up. Um, she was pretty savage, my mum, in the sense like <laughs> she said, always said you can always be better, you know. Even if even if you win an event or you you win at whatever you're doing, you know, you can still be better and I've never, never ever forgotten that. And, um, you know, even with Tokyo coming up, I'm hoping that we can go back to back. And then after that, I want to continue my studies and finish my degree and work in international security hopefully, um, you know, play my role in the UN like I've always dreamt of or um, whether it's for the government or um, the Defence Force. I'm not sure, but I'll never, I'll never stop. I'll never stop trying to, to get to where I want to be. And most importantly, just being a kind person. Like this, that's something that I really, really just want to be. I just want to be known as Elia, the real kind, friendly teddy bear is what a lot of people call me, the teddy bear. <laughs> Elliot Green, I think you've already <laughs> nailed that part. I want to say thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us on Trailblazer. It's been wonderful to hear your story and we wholeheartedly wish you all the very best for the future. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Steph.